This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. Pakistan's notorious blasphemy laws put Christians at constant risk of being falsely accused of blaspheming Islam, the Quran, or Muhammad, receiving harsh punishments when convicted, and death threats if they aren't. A quarter of all blasphemy accusations in Pakistan target Christians who only make up 1.8% of the population. And the number of blasphemy cases is increasing, as is the number of Christian girls being abducted, abused, and forcibly converted to Islam. Christians are also trapped in a cycle of poor education and poverty, with a number of them employed literally as slaves. To talk about the many challenges facing the followers of Jesus in Pakistan is Asher John. Asher is a human rights journalist with a career spanning over two decades in Pakistan's print media. And in 2021, Asher founded Cross Connection, which is a digital media platform focusing on human rights advocacy in Pakistan, particularly minority rights, interfaith harmony, democracy, tolerance, and equal citizenship through various forms of storytelling technique and credible journalism. Asher, welcome to Closer to the Fire. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on the show. It's it a pleasure. Is, it is wonderful to have you on Closer to the Fire. Pakistan is a country that we pray a lot for at uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, we work in Pakistan. I've been in your country several times. Uh, absolutely love the people there. But uh, again, there's so many things going on. And we're going to talk about the blasphemy laws, uh, the girls that are kidnapped. But before we do that, tell me more about Cross Connection. Uh, I founded Cross Connection in, uh, two years ago. And uh, the basic uh, mission of Cross Connection is to promote human rights with a special focus on the marginalized and vulnerable communities of Pakistan, especially Christians. So being part of the mainstream media for over two decades, I observed that the mainstream media in Pakistan, because of several pressures, self-censorship, it tends to avoid reports on minorities. So unless a particular issue blows up, it blows out of proportion and is inevitable to report, all reports just go uh, under the radar. So this was the reason Cross Connection was founded. And for the past two years, we have been trying not only to report, advocate for modern minority rights, but also to come up with a platform where people from, regardless of the religious or political affiliations, they can be brought together. And all of us together can have a collective voice for a better and peaceful Pakistan. Now, by doing what you're doing, and there's some things that we just can't talk about uh, for security issues, and uh, I think people have to understand that. We don't want to put you or our brothers and sisters in Christ or anybody that you're working with uh, any kind of danger. But for you personally, I mean, you're really stepping out, uh, you know, in a public way. Uh, does that, you know, cause you some concern personally and for your family? Well, brother, I think this is what... God has trained me all these years. Hmm. Knowing what the red lines are in Pakistan and being objective, that I believe is very important. So if you are objective, if your story, if the report is based on facts, it has no uh, bias. So I think we can come up with objective reporting and I've, I've been doing this uh, for quite some time now. There have been threats, but then I guess 
the work has to continue the environment that we work in pakistan it is difficult yeah. but uh, even i have report i have been reporting uh, incidents of persecution especially pertaining to blasphemy laws the conversion forced conversion and abduction of uh, minority girls so uh, there have been threats but uh, thankfully the work is continuing it is continuing and and you are really doing an amazing work and we appreciate all that you are contributing and bringing awareness because if we don't bring the awareness these people are suffering in silence and and I know it's got to be discouraging work because there's so many cases and unfortunately we don't always get the resolve that we want but on the other hand there are some you know good outcomes and well, that's why we continue to pray that's why we continue to you know work in this now it's it's important right off the top here as well to mention that it's not just Christians you're helping in fact 25% of the blasphemy cases as i said off the top are against Christians with only 1.8% of the population. So less than 2% of the population in Pakistan are Christians. So, I mean, proportionally, it's it's way out of uh, out of whack there. Um, but you also work with Muslims as well, because it is a Muslim country. Um, you work with other religions to help them because they are suffering as well. So the thing is, between 1987 and 2022, at least 2122 people have been charged with blasphemy uh at least 90 people have been lynched or killed extrajudicially and most of the cases a majority of the cases is against uh, the muslims and this is what we have been trying to advocate and even with especially i would like to mention uh, during uh, recent interactions with government officials and uh, church leaders this is something that we have been pointing out and uh, we have said that look it's not just christians or ahmadis the law is also being misused against muslims so the thing is on the ground here pakistan has a very it's a very religiously charged country and we all need to understand the dynamics on the ground uh asking for abolition or repealing of the law from the ground i don't think uh, this is going to happen since people are uh, religious sentiments run very high in pakistan so this is what uh, we have been pushing for we have been asking for a deterrent and this is something that the islamabad high court and the senate's standing committee on human rights they have also been emphasizing that it's very important to bring a strong deterrent to stop this misuse of the laws in right. uh, uh, currently a false accusation is liable with punishment of just 1000 rupees or 6 months in prison but even that is not being applied so unless false accusations of the same degree are met with punishments of the same degree only then we see some hope of these false accusations accusations stopping 
let's try to understand then the blasphemy law. I think people have a you know kind of an idea about it. I mean, most of the the stories that we you know cover from the voice of the martyrs are dealing with Christians because that's our ministry to the persecuted church. And again, false accusations and our brothers and sisters in many cases spend years and years in prison. Uh, finally, when it's revealed that they were innocent, they're you know they're let out, but that you know after five, six, seven, eight years in prison. But it, but most of the blasphemy cases, it maybe happens through the internet. Somebody said, you know, Prophet Muhammad or the Quran or Islam, and even declaring, you know, Jesus is Lord and uh, he's the only way to heaven. Those, I think people understand that. Even these accusations of blasphemy, if even if that's what, you know, brought the charges of just declaring what the Bible teaches, I think most people understand that. But what about Muslims who are accused of blasphemy? What are some of the things that are, brought against them well let me give you an example now this case happened in Sialkot about uh, 12 years ago a couple they used to lend out money in a village and they lent money to the imam of the local mosque to buy a motorcycle so when this couple goes to demand their money back the imam and two of his uh, aides they accuse them of committing blasphemy on the floor of the mosque just for demanding the money back. So what did they actually say that they blasphemed about? I mean, okay, they're in the mosque and there, there's this, you know, business transactions happened. So what were the accusations? He just said that they came and we were praying. This couple came and they started blaspheming. So most of the blasphemy cases, they are actually baseless. Let me give you an example, a very recent example. On April 19th, a case was registered against a illiterate Christian woman and a Muslim gardener who worked in a primary school in a higher secondary school for girls in a district in Punjab. Now what happened was these two people they were asked by the school administration to clean a storeroom. Now in the storeroom both of them uh, you need to keep in mind they were both illiterate. One is a gardener a Muslim the other is an illiterate Christian office worker. So they were cleaning the storeroom, they gathered all the wasted paper, put them in a corner and set it on fire. Now this is the usual practice uh, that we do. Some of the girls later noticed that the burnt, in the burnt heap there were a few pages of the uh, Sapara or the Quranic inscriptions, which some probably it must have torn off from a Islamic studies book. No one noticed then. And it went along with the heap, which was set on fire. And they raised a hue and cry, oh, look, someone has uh, burnt the holy pages and committed blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Now the school principal knew, the administrator knew. They tried to brush the issue under the rug. And this uh, the incident happened on 15th, April 15th. After four days, one of the students, she probably informed one of her relatives who again came to the school and gathered a mob, started a protest, called the police and told them that a woman had committed blasphemy. He did not know until then that the incident also involved the Muslim gardener. Now look, the circumstances, it, uh, you will understand uh, the situation from this example, but that when the police came, they investigated. The school administration, the principal, they told them that, yes, we told them to clear the uh, storeroom. Both of them are illiterate. 
they don't even know what the papers meant but what did the police do they took both of them in custody charged them under section 295b which relates to the desecration of the holy quran and put them behind bars both of them are in judicial lockup right now so yeah just like that despite knowing that they had no intention of doing any such thing there was no ill intent involved in the action and this is what is going on for decades and once the charges are brought and you know as you talk about the mob mentality even though the you know police officers and courts they know that these are false there was no intention to you know to desecrate uh, the writings of the quran but now they're in a difficult situation because if they don't maintain these charges they get threatened as well so this happened on the april 19th two days before that a chinese engineer who was working in northern pakistan on a hydropower project he was charged with blasphemy section 295c and section 6 of the anti terrorism act and his uh, uh, allegations against him were brought by the workers who said that the chinese engineer had stopped them from praying now the chinese engineer he is the first uh, foreigner to be charged with blasphemy in pakistan it's a very rare thing especially uh, considering that the man was a chinese engineer yeah. so the man said that all he had uh, done was asked two drivers not to take frequent breaks and the driver said we are fasting and we just need rest and when he stopped them the drivers instigated the workers there was a massive protest some even tried to lynch the chinese engineer oh, the police intervened the locals intervened there was a huge they blocked the main uh, highway and demanded that the chinese must be charged the police had nothing they couldn't do anything even the government officials couldn't do anything and the man, uh, they booked him on uh, blasphemy charges and he is also in jail right now so this is the thing you don't really need evidence if someone even verbally accuses another person that he has said something the man will be behind bars and if you look at the trend it's very common for people who are charged with blasphemy the trial courts do not give bail to them the judges are afraid they are afraid of mob violence yeah. and almost in 99% cases all the accused who are charged with blasphemy especially under section 295c they are convicted to death that's the sad thing about it i can't imagine the pakistani government uh, you know being very happy about situations like that uh, because they want you know professional people from china canada the us to come to pakistan and now if they're worried about being charged with blasphemy they may not want their workers to go and some may say i'm not going because it's just too volatile and uh, so that's something obviously the pakistani government have to uh, work out and uh, you know and maintain you know some safety for those that are coming to serve in their country and help Now talking about the blasphemy cases particularly with Christians I think most people who listen to this podcast are very familiar with the case of Asia Bibi in 2010 she was convicted of blasphemy by a Pakistani court and was sentenced to death by hanging 
That was after an argument with some co-workers while harvesting berries, the Muslim co-workers. And then in October 2018, the Supreme Court of Pakistan finally acquitted her based on insufficient evidence. Uh, though she was not allowed to leave Pakistan, there were death threats against her. Uh, the verdict was reviewed. Uh, she was held under armed guard, not able to leave the country until she came to Canada in 2019. And, of course, we're grateful that uh, that case worked out. But, Asher, when you look at these blasphemy cases against Christians, we're seeing more and more of these stories coming out. Is that because there's a, a better reporting, or is that because there are just more cases going on now? The, it's. Uh, I would say that uh, blasphemy accusations are trending. And one reason why there has been an increase in cases against Christians is because of the use of social media. Most of our people, they are not trained in theology, but they do tend to try and get into debate. On WhatsApp groups, you never know who is in uh, who's present in those groups. So there is sometimes a debate which goes out of hand. This has been a case. I have reported uh, some cases where there has there has been instances where people do tend to engage in debates. But then, in some cases, people's social media is misused yeah. by others. Sometimes they tend to just leave their phones open or give others uh, the uh, electronic devices which can be misused. It's just one comment, one comment, one status and that's it. This is how this has been uh, the recent uh, thing in Pakistan. Ever since uh, social media has gotten common here, a lot of the cases that are being now registered against Christians is uh, due to social media. Right. And people that are, you know, debating, you know, and I've, you know, read numbers through not just Pakistan, but other Muslim countries where something is said against Jesus or, or Christianity. And somebody says, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. And they get into a debate and all of a sudden it's considered blasphemy. Pakistan officially has religious freedom, but obviously Asher, that's not really the case. Well, you could say this. The thing is, many a times uh, that I've observed, not only Christians, but people of other faith, even Muslims among themselves, whenever anyone says something that is not acceptable to the other, it lands them into a blasphemy case. And it's not just common people. Government officials, even our ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan, he was charged with blasphemy. Our former interior minister, he was shot in the arm over allegations uh, that he had committed blasphemy. So things have gone haywire. That's the thing. Ever since the law has unfortunately been weaponized for politi political victimization, mm -hmm. it's just uh, the accusations have become common. You hear about these accusations every other day. It's become pretty common now. And since most of the Christians uh, in Pakistan, a majority of them belong to the very poor uh, section of society. And uh, they easily become targets. That's uh, for sure. Yeah, they can't defend themselves. Uh, they don't have the 
the finances, resources. That's why ministries like the Voice of the Martyrs are so important in what you're doing. Is it helping Asher by getting these stories out? Is it, I mean, obviously it's drawing attention. Sometimes it's the attention you don't want to draw because of, you know, things that could happen to you personally or to Christians. Um, but by getting these stories out, uh, not only in Pakistan, but literally internationally, is is that helping uh, to, I mean, I already know that the cases are increasing, but I mean, you got to keep going. But is it is it making any difference, do you think? The thing is, Reporting this in, these incidents is important, I feel. It's very important. Mm -hmm. One, to maintain data for those involved in advocacy and uh, provision of legal aid. They need to know what the situation is. Even for government quarters, they need to realize that this thing is going on and on and on and on. But at the same time, while there is international advocacy, there is local advocacy, I believe it is very important that people in Pakistan are empowered so that we can come up with a strategy. How long can this uh, issue be dealt on a case-to-case -case basis? There needs to be a deterrent. That's something uh, that we have been advocating for. It's very important. All life, uh, regardless of the person is a Christian, a Muslim, an Ahmadi or whoever, all life is important. And once someone is charged with blasphemy, trust me, I have met people who are behind bars. Mm. They are left there for years. And once it is proven that the charge was false, who will compensate for all the years of their ordeal and plight that they have spent behind bars? Even when they are out, they don't have any place to go. All right. their lives are destroyed. Their families are scattered, dispersed. They can't return to their neighborhoods. And that is the bitter truth. So overall, this is a very major issue. The false accusations, the rampant uh, abuse of the laws, this needs to stop. And yeah. a government, rather the state of Pakistan needs to realize that it is not just targeting the marginalized or vulnerable groups. It is also targeting the majority community. So something needs to be done. Absolutely. And there needs to be international pressure put on Pakistan or countries like Canada, which, uh, you know, give billions of dollars to Pakistan, which in many cases is considered a failed state. Uh, but still, I mean, but human rights just does not seem to be something that a lot of countries, governments, even including our own, want to talk about too much. Uh, you know, we don't want to anger other countries. And but again, it's it's wrong, and it needs to be righted. And uh, that's why we need to continue to put pressure on. And I know a big part of that uh, for us that follow Jesus is to be praying, but also to do practical things. So, Asher, when it comes to the church, uh, and evangelism and sharing the gospel. How do these laws, like these blasphemy laws, then impact, you know, the church wanting to go forward and to declare the message of Jesus? Well, brother, the thing is, in Pakistan, as far as practicing the Christian faith is concerned, we have a huge number of churches, home-based churches, our people hold religious conventions, and overall, there is no bar on practicing the Christian faith. Every Sunday, we have police standing guard outside our churches. There is no, we don't have to run our sermons by the government. And 
there is no imposition or restriction as such as far as practicing our own faith is concerned of course uh, when you talk about evangelism you cannot talk publicly to people of the other faith or invite them as they do so this is something that is prohibited in pakistan so you have to be very careful then in terms of how yes. you share the gospel and if people respond and of course when muslims uh, become Christians, that's that's a whole other thing, and we'll talk about that because that's a phenomenon that's happening around the world. Many Muslims are coming to know Jesus through dreams and visions, but it's also through people telling them about Jesus. So again, psychologically, how does that overall affect the church? Well, the thing is, since uh, probably the church leaders would be in a better position uh, to respond to this question, but as an observer and as a member of the community, I feel that uh, keeping the dynamics in mind, the dynamics of the country, the situation on the ground, the community needs to be careful. Since we are just a system, it's not in a good state, it's crumbling. Hmm. And recently, there has been a lot of polarization in all sections of society, even in institutions, government institutions. So the situation is not well right now. So as far as evangelizing is concerned, church leaders, I think, uh, and I'm sure they have uh, people, whoever is involved in uh, evangelism. I know they have they have a assessment of the situation and they're uh, uh, treating it accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, again, we all have to really be led by the Holy Spirit, whether we have more freedom in a country like Canada or even in places like North Korea, where if you even talk about Jesus and not worship the Kim cult, uh, you can be imprisoned and killed. So I think everywhere we live, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it just, the guard has to be up a little bit more so. I, you know, I've been in Nigeria a number of times and I've seen, you know, the difficulties that our brothers and sisters, you know, go through there. From the larger perspective, Asher, we know as followers of Jesus and what the Bible teaches that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. The church is going forward in Pakistan. And I think even as things may look as bleak as they are and the difficulties, the challenges, people are still coming into relationship with Jesus. And that's something that we rejoice brother, on. Yeah, go ahead. I would like to share something with you. And here's a personal experience. I've had the opportunity of heading the newsroom of a mainstream English paper in Pakistan, Pakistan Today. And I was the only Christian. I was the deputy editor and I was in charge of the production and uh, all the reporters, all four, four bureaus. For me, as a Christian, how I conducted myself, how the integrity of my work, honesty, that was my testimony as a Christian for my fellow Muslim co-workers. And I believe that uh, for a decade, People who have worked with me, I think they have come to know about Christ through my how I conducted myself. Being part of uh, a community which is in minority, each one of us, we have to live by example. So our faith needs to be amplified by how we conduct ourselves in society. So that is 
as a lay person i am not a priest or a church leader but as a lay person my professional conduct should be a testimony of my christian faith so this is something that i keep on sharing with the, my christian friends people who work in uh, private organizations that we need to live by example so that is also something that should attract other uh, people to know more about us yeah no that's a great point and i mean i've worked in secular broadcasting uh you know I, now i'm you know more involved in media with the 100 huntley street the television program voice of the martyrs christian organizations but working in secular media you, you have to live with integrity and that was a you know we just that's a way that we share the gospel i think people need to see the light of jesus and the hope that we have in christ and and that's that's that that is something for all of us we're, whether we're in pakistan canada australia somalia nigeria wherever we need to let the light of jesus shine out of us and uh that's a great reminder so thank you for for saying that and it's so so very important Asher, let's now talk about uh, the girls that are being kidnapped and forced into Islam and uh, married to much older men. Uh, I think the statistics I've been reading is about a thousand girls every year. And that's not just Christians. We're talking about Hindus and Muslim girls as well. Uh, and the number is probably a lot higher. But I just want to look at one story I think that is indicative of the many stories that we get at the Voice of the Martyrs through our persecution and prayer alert. A young lady by the name of Satara Arif, she's 15 years old, Christian girl, and she was captured uh, in December in Faisalabad, abducted by the husband of her employer. She was forcibly converted to Islam and then married to her captor, who's 60 years old. Uh, and after two months, finally, police registered a case in this situation, and uh, the family, of course, have been pleading to the authorities for help. These kinds of stories, they're tragic, and it's not only that the girls are kidnapped and the abuse that they face, but then when the families go to the authorities, often nothing is done. In most of the cases, parents of these girls are very poor people, but both parents work. The mother usually works as a housemaid or domestic help. The father is a daily wager. They both go out to work, which leaves the girl vulnerable to the perpetrators who, in most of the cases, are from their own neighborhoods. Many of the victims, they are they fall prey to seduction over time. And these abductors develop a relationship. And when they start fearing that the girl, uh, there is, of course, a certain period where they can keep on exploiting the young girls. But when they have a feeling that the secret is going to come out and it's time to get uh, to come uh, to save themselves. That is when they take the girls from their homes, get them, uh, uh, force them to marry. And of course, since it's an Islamic marriage, the girls are forced to convert to Islam. Now, this gives them a legal cover. Now, we need to understand that Pakistan is run under the penal law hmm. under which sex with a 16 year old girl willfully or unwillingly is statutory rape which is punishable by death or life imprisonment but when these girls and especially my girls belonging to the minority community christians and hindus even if they are 12 years old 
the nikah nama or the marriage certificate states the name to be 18 or 19 this is how the marriage conversion certificate is made so in the marriage certificate even though the girl is 13 or 12 even her physical appearance is also of a minor child mm-hmm. she is said to be a majority age then when the matter goes to court the courts determine that they are uh, adults on the basis of the sharia law under which when the girl has had her first menstrual cycle she is considered an adult now there are plenty of laws that are applicable here seduction uh rape yeah it's section 266 and several other laws which are not applied by the police when they are registering firs the only fir that is registered the section that is applied in these firs is abduction so when the police does recover the girl and presents her in court now she is after all a child mm-hmm. it is not that she has been uh, forced away from her home she is forced into a giving a statement that yes i willfully uh, converted uh, my faith i willfully married the man of uh, he married him uh, by choice even though the perpetrator is double or triple her own age and the court say fine the girl is an adult under the sharia law even though she's she, only 12 or 13 or 14 years old yes, i mean is, again is, i think it's hard for uh you know living in this part of the world i mean i've heard the stories many times uh, and we've also heard that when these girls do go to court they have been threatened their family has been threatened uh, but but are some of them actually they've been so brainwashed and maybe the uh the shame of all that's happened even though it's not their fault that they do actually in court say no i've i have done this i mean there's many reasons then when they go to court that they would even say that this is something i did willingly despite the parent presenting there was this case that we took up uh, from the platform of cross connection in uh, 2021 now this girl she was only 14 years old and this entire episode happened she goes and tells the court the high court that i am 19 years old whereas the parents present their own marriage certificate under which the parents marriage wasn't even uh, 19 it was uh, they were married for only 17 years and they kept pleading and they showed the girls official birth certificates her baptism certificates her school certificates yet the court refused to listen and they said no the girl is saying she is 19 and she is going to go with her uh, husband this is the thing and for the first time in uh, 2021 the church officially filed a petition a constitutional petition in the supreme court the mm-hmm. church of pakistan uh, which is uh, currently headed by bishop azad marshall so so he was the first uh, church leader who actually took a stand on this issue took the matter to court and the court refused to listen to the petition and they said well you have to bring a individual's case on which we can take this matter forward so when this thing happened in uh, july uh, 2021 and we took up the case 
So I contacted the the church and I told them, well, you, here you have a classic example of how young girls are taken from their homes. The entire Lord Judiciary and the police facilitate the entire process. And here's a classic example. This is what you need. Take it to the Supreme Court and file a appeal against the Lahore High Court decision. You know what happened, Brother Greg? Hmm. The appeal was filed in August, a, a month after the Lahore High Court decision came out. You have to file the appeal within one month. The appeal was filed within time. Till date, there has been no hearing. And this is the Supreme Court. And at that time, the bench was headed by the incumbent Chief Justice of Pakistan. So this is the state of affairs here. Oh, it is so discouraging. And, you know, when I read these stories, and I see them often, and again, I would encourage people to be praying. Um, we often have photos of these girls, and it, oh, man, it just breaks your heart. And another, another thing, another incident. Oh, man. This happened in Faisalabad, and this was a, uh, two years ago. The girl's name was Farah Shaheen. She was only 12, I guess. So we reported that incident too. The parents kept visiting the courts and finally, the police recovered the girl from her the abductor's custody and she was in shackles. She was locked up in chains and all she did, and she was being raped repeatedly by the man and his friends. The police recovered her in fetters. When they produced her in court, the girl's ankles, they were injured. And all the court did was send the girl with her parents. Neither the police nor the court took notice of the fact that that girl was had been kept as a slave. Right. So what can one do in such a situation? When the, uh, uh, there was an attempt to legislate on this issue, uh, uh, it was last year. In fact, uh, in 2021, under the Imran Khan government, the Human Rights Ministry came up with a bill. But uh, the religious circles, they objected to it. They said that there can be no age bar on conversion. And the, in the entire debate, Greg, you know, the church was not taken on board. They had no say. No one even reached out to them. The Council of Islamic Ideology called one of the most notorious uh, perpetrators of this crime. His name is uh, Abdul Haq and he's better known as Mia Mithu. He, he is the caretaker of a shrine in Sin and he's notorious for converting young minor Hindu girls and force, uh, marrying them off forcibly. He was made part of the discussion on the bill and the bill was outright thrown out. It never made it to parliament. And the prime minister of Pakistan, when this question was put forth to him, he said, I didn't even know this bill was coming, but even if it did, I would not let it pass. That's the thing. That is so, insanity when you think about it. And, and, the and, and what's running through my mind, Asher, is what the Bible talks about. If you hurt little children, um, there is going to be severe judgment. And I know that we... I know I have to guard my heart on this. You are there. Uh, you must have to guard your heart because I know all of us want to, you know, we want justice. We want it now. We know that 
you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord. We really have to practice this and loving our enemies, even when they're doing these horrible, horrible things. Uh, it just boggles the mind. You know, girls, obviously she's 13. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. My daughter, my eldest daughter is going to turn 13. My youngest is seven. And trust me, I fear for them. And I fear for all children. A child is a child, regardless of uh, who they are. A child is a child. It is child rape in the guise of forced conversions. And yeah. nothing is being done about it. I know. So it is getting yeah. very frustrating. I'll be very honest. And it makes me very angry that there has been no movement. Absolutely no movement. And for the past uh, year, Pakistan is in a political chaos. It's turmoil. No legislation is taking place. Only legislation that is relevant to those in power. That takes place. Even in fact, you, uh, when you said earlier that when we keep on reporting these incidents, how does it matter? It matters because in yes. times like these, who's going to keep track? Who's going to keep track of all those children yeah. who are losing their childhood? We and cannot even imagine the people, the girls I have interviewed, it is heart-wrenching. It is so difficult to even question them. Yeah, and I've met Young and children. interviewed some of them, you know, when I have been in Pakistan, and it it, it is horrible what you're hearing because we're not only hearing about the girls that are currently uh, being held, and we rejoice when they are returned to their families. Uh, but the reality is, is that they have been damaged. Their lives have been destroyed. They they need help. They need that's counseling. Uh, I mean, that that's another part of this whole thing. And and I get many requests because, you know, through Facebook and I have many connections and, and contacts in Pakistan. And, you know, many of them want to come to Canada. And I understand that we've been involved uh, you know, I help some churches here in Canada uh, sponsor families from Pakistan that have young girls. I get it. But on the other hand, Asher, if, if all the believers leave the country, is not all of them, but many of them want to leave the country, understand that. What does that do to the church, just even psychologically on the big picture, uh, when it comes to, you know, being in Pakistan and being the light of Jesus? Because that's ultimately the most important thing is to see people you know, make a decision to follow him and, and spend an eternity with God. But for the here and the now, the the human part of this, because you and I are humans and the and and his dads, and I can't imagine those that have been through this. I would just be devastated if that happened to one of my daughters. Exactly, brother. The thing is, this is what I've been talking with and discussing with the church leaders. See, we need to stop acting on a case-to-case -case basis. We need to do something more proactive. Now, the reality is, the ground reality, and I'm going to, this includes legislation regarding the misuse of the laws from, uh, to protecting uh, legislation for protecting our children. One thing, and this is what I've been questioning some uh, international friends too, with all the advocacy and everything, why do you think nothing has changed in Pakistan and things are deteriorating? The fact of the matter is that Christians are politically irrelevant to the national mainstream. Hmm. We are the only community, minority community in Pakistan, which does not have a representative platform which can engage with the establishment of the country or the political forces. Because of our irrelevancy, nothing is happening. 
moreover we are the only community who doesn't even know what our numbers are we don't even know that we don't even know how many of us are here so the official census the process the entire process is faltered so the numbers christians are the only minority in 1998 the uh, christians were 1.59% of the total minorities all right after two decades the census was held after two decades in 2017 christians became 1.27 so being the only minority which had decreased instead of increasing now is that even possible mm. so there are several factors and one factor major factor uh when we take and this is what i have been observing throughout because we do not matter because we are not organized there is massive division in the church even in our uh, community circles no one really bothers the state doesn't even bother so we need to this is something that we really need to work on all those international advocacy that's a very good thing it should be there but yeah. it needs to be complemented with efforts on the ground unless the community realizes this and this is what i've been trying to do this was one of the main objectives of coming up with a platform where we can actually have a discourse and realize come up with at least some agenda where we can all gather and do something about it it needs cohesive action it needs a collective voice otherwise we are just going to continue reporting and advocating but on the ground it's not ha- happening right the situation and, is worse yeah anyway. I mean, and if the census says that you know there's less christians and there the probably actually is that oh they they're, they're just such a small minority just forget about them do whatever you want or whatever it's Doesn't just we are a sizable minority we are a sizable minority almost equal to or more than hindus and plus hindus are mostly centered in uh, sen we are settled everywhere in pakistan right but our main uh, population base is uh, punjab roughly according to unofficial estimates there are about 6 to 7 million christians mm-hmm. in pakistan yeah i mean that's a significant uh, number of christians that are there i mean it's a huge country of course uh before we go i i, I want you to pray because you know this sounds like very hopeless and i know that overall you're a, you're a positive person in spite of all that you're seeing and the difficulty that's going on i know that your relationship with jesus and your you know reliance upon his holy spirit to get you through uh, because you see and hear many difficult things but on the other hand god is working in pakistan so before we go to prayer just just share some of the things that that you see god doing in your nation in the midst of so much hardship God is at work in Pakistan there's no doubt about it and the only reason there is some hope because we have a lot of believers who have their faith firm in God and we pray every day every night for the situation to change you know what christians are a very patriotic people we are patriotic pakistanis and we love our country mm. we have contributed a lot ever since uh, pakistan was carved out of india christians have contributed a lot in education they have contributed a lot in health even in the defense of the country we have so many people serving in the army even both of my maternal uncles they have served in the air force 
our hospitals, our education uh, institutions, we have been imparting these services for years. So it pains to see how the uh, country is slowly downsliding towards uh, chaos. And we pray every day, every Sunday, there are special prayers for Pakistan mm -hmm. in our churches. Because we love our country. Yes. And that's a fact. Despite all everything that is going on, we still hope and we still have faith in God that he will work and he will change things and we will be catalysts of that change. So just like uh, Prophet Nehemiah, we are praying for our country. Yes. And God do God does these things. One of uh, the things that I can say is that despite this charged environment, we have been facing discrimination. All of uh, people who belong to minority communities, they do feel uh, they face discrimination and prejudice in some point of their lives. But as a Christian, I, this is my testimony. See, when I started my career in journalism, I joined as an apprentice sub-editor hmm. in 2003, January 2003. And from there, God guided and he led and he enabled me without his hand at work. I wouldn't have been perhaps the only Christian who has led newsrooms of mainstream papers despite the entire environment being of the majority community. So, and similarly, there are other examples. So God's hand is at work and he is working. We have, uh, we see many good things happening in the church too. But mm -hmm. then there's a lot more where prayer is needed for change to come. That's the thing. So as individuals, we feel that it is our responsibility if we were, if God's grace has been with us, it was for a reason. It was to train and equip us to do something about the situation here, to give us the confidence of working in uh, Muslim organizations, engaging with people in influential positions, trying to put forth our perspectives before them so that they would understand that things need to improve. And they need, they need to improve for everyone. So that's the thing. So it's a constant battle. It's an everyday battle. It's an everyday challenge. Well, the battles that you face are different than the battles certainly that we face in Canada. You know, as, as our nation here has become more secular, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of things where even the Bible now is, you know, be seen as something that's, you know, against culture, especially when it comes to the sexual revolution and things that are happening in our nation. Uh, the moral issues especially, uh, but compared to what's going on there, and I mean, again, all battles are battles, uh, but you're seeing it every day, and it's it's in your face every day, and I'm just grateful for people like you, Asher, that, that are standing up, and we pray that there will be change. Uh, we don't give up doing good even when we get tired, and uh, so we'll continue to be praying for you, praying for Pakistan, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ there, and that many would come into relationship with Jesus because the bottom line, as I said before, it's about eternal life. It's about seeing people spend eternity with God. And uh, we can't again, be overcome uh, with hatred and anger because that, that that's so destructive. That doesn't help anybody. And, and I appreciate, you know, you keeping your heart soft and clean, uh, you know, as you're continuing in the battle. 
So before we close, Asher, can you pray for Pakistan and those that are watching or listening to this podcast, uh, join with us and, and, and even just mark down Pakistan in your Bible somewhere or uh, somewhere where you'll be reminded to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So brother, can you lead us? Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity where I've been able to share the situation we as Christians and as Pakistanis on the whole feel. The challenges that we face on a daily basis. And while things are not that good and it's a constant battle, it's an everyday battle that we face. We have faith that your hand is at work, that you love Pakistan, you love Pakistani Christians. You love our daughters, you love our sons. After all, you have created them in the image of your hand. We hope that you will have your mercy and grace will show upon us. And the situation here will improve and all the efforts and all the prayers being offered by Christians across the world and in Pakistan, you will hear them and you will respond. Please give us the wisdom, especially to our leaders who work towards alleviating the sufferings of our people. Give us the wisdom and the power to consider strategies so that we can come up with the change that is much needed in the Pakistani church and the larger interest of the Pakistani community. Bless us, Lord, and make us instruments of change for those in majority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And let me pray for you, Asher. Father, I just thank you for my brother, Asher John, and the work that he is doing and bringing attention to uh, the many injustices uh, perpetrated against not only Christians, but Hindus and Muslims. Lord, this is a difficult work and, and it can take its emotional and physical toll on him. Uh, I just pray, Lord, you just strengthen him by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have given him favor in many places in Pakistan, in the culture, and that he would continue to be that light of Jesus to shine, and that he would encourage and challenge our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and beyond the borders of that nation as well to stand up for these injustices. A part of the uh, desire that you have for all your children, Lord, is that we will be people that will stand up for righteousness and for what is right. We know ultimately judgment, Lord, is in your hands. And Lord, I, again, when our emotions run hot and we see these injustices, we want to take revenge, but that's not what you've called us to do. Yes, we need to stand up. We need to do what we need to do. But Lord, we would uh, leave the results in your hands. Pray for the Church of Pakistan. And I've been blessed to be in that nation and to be with many of my brothers and sisters. And I see how much they love you and how passionate they are about the things of your kingdom. I continue to strengthen your church and and for us in canada and around the world that we would remember to be praying with those that are suffering for the gospel's sake 
uh, in Pakistan. Continue to build your church, Lord. You're doing wonderful and amazing things, as Brother Asher has shared. And persecution um, causes many things to happen. Some will shrink back, but many are pressing forward. And so, Lord, we thank you for the incredible privilege we have to serve you even uh, in the in the midst of difficulty, Lord, you will strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you for my brother Asher and his family. Protect his daughters and his, his wife and his friends and family. And Lord, just continue to use them mightily uh, for the purposes of your kingdom in Pakistan and again beyond the borders. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Asher, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I want to remind people that if they'd like to find out more about Cross Connection, and that's with K's, not C's, Cross Connection. So it's crossconnection.pk, and you can find out more about what Asher is doing. So again, thank you, brother, for all that you're doing, and uh, continue the great work uh, in Pakistan, and we'll be praying for you and the situation in that country. Thank you so much, brother. It was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, we and we will and it's been a play our pleasure too. We we appreciate you and uh, I was highly recommended by Floyd Brobel. He is the CEO of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, and I know that uh, you work as well internationally with the church when it comes to issues of persecution and discrimination against Christians. And and I love also the fact that it's not just Christians; it's our friends that are in the Muslim and Hindu communities and that they would see the compassion and the love of Jesus. So again, thank you again for all that you're doing. And uh, we'll be in touch and we'll keep in, uh, you know, informed about these situations that are happening, these blasphemy cases, uh, these girls that are being kidnapped, uh, so people can be praying. And, and again, we rejoice when we hear, uh, you know, girls being released, but then we realize also that that's just the beginning of the healing process. So again, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And I'd encourage those that are listening, watching, uh, if you can rate this podcast or write a comment, uh, that helps other people find out what's happening around the world in countries like Pakistan and Nigeria, North Korea, and all over the world where our brothers and sisters are suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.